<laughs> That's a heavy old thing. I haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> you know, I was just uh, thinking as we've been looking at the book of Acts, and uh, last week Naomi Tepper uh, actually shared the word as our director of um, missions and our kind of coordinator of uh, small groups and uh, just did a, an amazing job, in my opinion. And, um, you know, one of the things that struck me from what she was saying is that we need to remember from whence we've come. And uh, that really is the, probably something that's important for all of us to do, remember where we've come. Uh, because God wants to use us. You see, Jesus in fact, didn't come to show us what he could do. Jesus came to show us what we could do when he's living his life in us and through us. Hello? And sometimes the church thinks that Jesus came so we could see what he could do. And when Jesus then does something, we sit back and go, whoa, that's awesome, man, go Jesus not recognizing that Jesus is calling us to do the very things that he did. Not because of what we have or, or, or intrinsically in ourselves, but because the king has come and birthed the new community. And what that new community is, is defined specifically by those people who have been captivated by what we just sung about, and that is the fire of God. Which brings me then back to my purpose this morning is to do really, uh, to declare this new community, this revival community, and that's really what God is building, a community of people that are revived out of their deadness, into, resurrected into new life, so that that people then could, um, could be uh, empowered by the Spirit to live out the life of Jesus where He's called us to walk. It's not about joining up. It's, it's not about um, like becoming part of the fraternity. We are fraternal. We are sororal. <laughs> We're brothers and sisters in Jesus, but that's not the end. You see, the end is to put Jesus on display so that those people out there will see how much God loves them, uh, and He shows off often through the likes of even us. Well, uh, what I want to do this morning is to summarize just a little bit of Acts chapter 2 and look at some of the dimensions of that community that was birthed and then look at a couple of specific characteristics of that community, and then I'm going to try to make some application and, and do all of that in a timely fashion so y'all don't get bored and want to throw me out. Okay, uh, let's, so last week, um, Naomi uh, read and we looked at Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Spirit. That's where the, the cloven tongues of fire fell, and the Spirit of God was actually... Um, imparted to individuals. Somebody say, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The, the Spirit of God was imparted to individuals, and the New Testament church 
if you will, was birthed on that day. Now, God's always had His people, to be sure, but the New Testament community was born on that day. Let me summarize just a couple of things. The day of Pentecost had finally come, verse 1 of chapter 2 of Acts. Um, the day of Pentecost had come, the, the day God came down and invaded their lives. This is radical stuff, by the way. And, and if, if we are too customer, uh, if we're too in custom, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> if, it's, if the Scriptures become so commonplace that they lose their awe, then we're at the place of, of uh, losing the impact, the, uh, the immediacy of what the Spirit of God is doing, not just then, but doing today in our lives. Uh, so the Spirit of God came, God came down, invaded the lives of people, and the disciples of Jesus, we're told, were together in one place. And you remember the Scriptures. I'm just reviewing. Suddenly, in their being together, waiting upon Him, the Holy Spirit came upon all of the believers, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Spirit of God. And there appeared like tongues of fire that sat, as it were, on all of them. We just sang about the holy fire of God. You know, God began at that point to empower and influence the actions and the behaviors of men and women. And there were some who were watching it going, oh, these guys are drunk. You know the text. You see, when God animates a person, mean when, meaning when God gives a person life, and when that person gives over to Him the control of their life, underscore that. When a person is so impacted by the Spirit of God that that man or that woman give over to the Spirit, to give over to God the controlling seat of their life, God gets to do with them what He wants to do. And He might offend you. Yeah, oh well. You see, if God's doing something, and, he, and, and it's all through Scripture, if I had an hour and a half, I could walk you through major text where God offended the minds of people because He was looking for one thing, and that's obedience to His Word more than our offenses. So the, God began to empower and influence people in their actions, their behaviors, and they were, uh, th there were utterances of tongues and languages that they had not learned. People began to hear the good news of God in their own language. Uh, there was inspired preaching. There was declaration of the Word. You know, Peter stood up and he said, these aren't drunk as you suppose. And he began to proclaim the gospel, helping the crowd to connect the dots with God's intention and the empowerment of the Spirit and how God wanted to reach every human being on planet earth with the good news of Jesus. That's why Jesus came. He went to a cross and on it he died a shameful and heinous death so that his blood would be poured out so that your sin could be covered 
so that my sin could be covered, so that God could now look at the likes of this sorry rascal or you and go, now I've chosen to look at you and call you holy and blameless forever because you are now united with my son. And oh, by the way, Steve, don't forget, this has absolutely nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what I've done for you in Jesus. So this community was then birthed by the Spirit. Thousands of people uh, were uh, redeemed and called out of darkness. The gospel had been preached. Men, women, and children began to follow Jesus into a totally new lifestyle. Can somebody say that with me? Totally new lifestyle. Where is this thing going that God is doing and touching people with the good news? Totally new lifestyle. You know, I, it just occurs to me, and I jumped up here a little bit earlier, and I was uh, looking. We were singing a song, and it made me think of it. I, in my mind, I jumped back to um, Galatia, or, um, Genesis chapter 15, and God was speaking to Abram, and he said, after these things, chapter 15, verse 1, uh, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. God would say to some of us today, don't be afraid. Of what? Of anything. Because God is our exceedingly great reward. We say it with our minds, but beloved, we have a very difficult time believing it and living it day to day. We want to control how God works through us, if we're honest. Those who gladly received the Word, it says in Acts 2.41, those who gladly received His Word were baptized and they began a totally new experience of identifying outwardly with the community because the Spirit of God had birthed something fresh and new inside them. Somebody, one of our teachers said up here, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Absolutely new in every sense of the word. Doesn't mean we can't stumble and fall, but it means God sees us new and that's who you are. When you stumble and fall, that's not you. Who you are is absolutely new. You understand the tension of that is difficult for, for human beings. So summarizing this text, the Spirit of God came. Those who received the word were baptized. Totally new existence. And Acts 2.42 says, then they or they continued steadfastly. That means they devoted themselves to four things, maybe five here. The apostles' teaching. They were taught in the Word because the Word is the instruction book. They were taught in the, the apostles' teaching. They had fellowship one with another. They broke bread with one another. That means they hung out and they ate together, and they devoted themselves to prayer. And verse 46 says, they continued then daily. So they continued steadfastly, devoting themselves to certain things. And then a couple of verses later, uh, it says that uh, not only did they devote themselves uh, or constantly or continually or steadfastly, uh, but 46 says, 
they continued daily in one accord in the temple and house to house, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, I want to just pause and say, what are some of the characteristics of this new community? Because that gives us definition of who we are. You see, if God touches a people in any age and invades their life and begins to take up residence, uh, making us His habitation, God doesn't, doesn't change, though the days might change. The seasons might change, but God doesn't change. And God desires to have a people whose hearts are captivated with who He is. Now, uh, let's notice a couple of these characteristics as we sort of, I want to give two characteristics and then make some applications of this new community. The first characteristic is that uh, this revived new community gave their lives to prayer. Americans don't like to pray. Now, don't get offensive because I know some of you pray. Probably all of you pray. We pray, you know, in, in different ways, but as a nation, we're not given to prayer. Acts 1, 14 says, They continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication. Acts 2, 42, I just shared it, they continued steadfastly devoting their lives to prayer. Acts chapter 3, we're going to look at that in just a moment. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. This is after the day of Pentecost. These guys were hanging out with Jesus. Jesus was now in them, and what were they doing is the question. The question is they were devoting themselves to the teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. They're even going to the temple praying at the hour of prayer in Acts chapter uh, 3, uh, verse 1. We come then to Acts chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, and being let go of the, the big, uh, what shall we call it, um, the hoopla that began because a lame man was healed in Acts chapter 3, being let go by the, San, the Sanhedrin, it says in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 23 and 4, being let go, they went back to their own company, that is, they went to their tribe, they went back to their community. They went back to the people that were birthed by the Spirit. And when they heard the report, they, those who heard the sharing of what happened to Peter and John by the Sanhedrin, chastising them, don't preach anymore in this name of Jesus. When they heard the report, they raised their voice to God with one accord, and they prayed. And we can look at that prayer in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 is the immediate follow-on with what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They gave themselves to prayer. One of the characteristics of a new community, if they're going to accomplish the purposes of God in any age, be it past, present, or future, is that that people give themselves to prayer. Now, this isn't a... Uh, a, a chastising, you need to pray more, shame, shame on you. Uh, the good news I'm sharing with you this morning is that God has begun to light a new flame of prayer and intercession and supplication in this congregation. I'm seeing it because on Wednesday night, I pray in this facility 
every week for the last seven years. Some of you have no idea that that's even happening. Why? It's just because we're busy. Now, we have a brand new prayer chapel that's been reactivated around this spirit of prayer. And there are people there on Monday evenings praying. You say, really? Yeah. There are people there on uh, Thursday evenings praying. We're in here on Wednesday evenings praying. There are people in small groups all over the community that God has begun to reignite the flame of prayer. Why? Because we, that without a, a cataclysmic um, crisis in our life, most people don't change. Without a crisis, most people don't change. I won't go into my own story. You're aware of that. But without a crisis, most people don't change. God will always bring a crisis because He loves us in order to break us out of where we are and launch us into the next thing if we don't become discouraged by what's happening in the process. So there's a new spirit of prayer that's being released I would not be surprised if our little prayer, there was a prophetic word given, in fact, about two years ago, I think it was, that there would be places in this facility that would become a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week prayer time. You all aware of that? Now, nobody could make that happen. We're not trying to make a program so that we will pray 24 hours, you know, a, a, a day, seven days a week, but I'm saying if God's doing that, it'll happen. So prayer is happening, and the challenge or the invitation is to each one of you, find a place where you can be part of it. Because if you're not part of that spirit of prayer, the, the, the prayer that comes, the, was it Patsy Lennon up here that talked about the fervent uh, prayer of a righteous man? That's the spirit of prayer. When the, when the spirit of God births prayer, it doesn't become, a, oh, I have to go to prayer. No, no, let me restate that. There's not a Wednesday night that doesn't go by that I don't say in my flesh, oh, i got to go to prayer. But see, I've learned that uh, one of them was talking about the, 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 the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who dictates what we do, and the Spirit is saying, let's go to prayer. And the old man, the flesh, goes, i got to go to prayer. There's not a day that goes by that I don't come, that I don't leave this place going, God, I am so glad I I gave in to your leading. You see, that's just a simple illustration of how the flesh always says no, but the Spirit says yes, and when we follow the leading of the Spirit, we begin to see God's results. What results, you say, Pastor Steve, are you beginning to see? I'm not seeing a lot of them yet, but I know that when we agree with God in prayer, things begin to happen. I could take you all through the Old Testament, and some of you probably know it better than I do. Remember Moses defeating the Malachites. Moses was on the hill. What was he doing? He was raising his hands. What's raising his hands? Was he worshiping? No, it was a symbol of his surrenderedness and his prayer of intercession while Joshua and his cohorts were down in the valley with the sword waxing the Amalekites. And every time, Mo- you know the story, every time Moses' hands got weary, the Amalekites started to win. So his 
companions lifted his arms and he continued to pray and they won a great victory. What do you think the takeaway of that is? The church in every age will be destroyed by her enemies if that church doesn't begin to understand the crises and the challenge and the invitation to become praying and give their life to those things that are most important. So the first characteristic then of this church that was renewed by the Spirit on the day of Pentecost and following was that they become more than anything else, they became more than anything else, a community that was given devoting themselves to prayer. Now, I know this can be sort of convicting. I live under that all the time. You see, God's always calling by His Spirit into something more. The second characteristic, um, and I see this God releasing a spirit of prayer. We're not organizing it. We're not programming it. We're not trying to make it happen. We're not whipping people. You've got to be to prayer. God's just doing it, and people are showing up. That's the neat thing. That's the spirit of prayer that's beginning to happen. The second characteristic, not only did they give themselves to prayer, the life of prayer, but the second thing is that they became bold in their outward focus. I know. Uh-oh. They became bold in their outward focus. You see, they uh, invested in the lives of real people, and they invited those real people then to come and be part of their community. God has the notion that He wants to do a new thing with this church. You've heard the prophetic words that have happened. Some of you can quote them. Going back to the the great revival that's going to happen in southeastern North Carolina back whenever that happened, you know, and prophetic word after prophetic word that our best days are ahead of us, and everybody says, oh, yes, I know that, amen. How's that going to happen? We all go, I don't know. Well, let me tell you what Hezekiah did when he didn't know. When he was surrounded by the enemies of God, he said, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And they prayed, and they fasted, and God said, okay, now just go out and worship before me and watch what happens. And he confounded the enemy. They killed each other. You say, see, I don't, I don't, we try to figure out what God wants to do, and all God wants us to do is to obey him. So let's look at verse 1, and let me begin to land this plane. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, this was after the day of Pentecost, and it says, now Peter and John uh, went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour, which was, I think, 3 a.m. in the afternoon. They were just going up to pray. It was the dailiness of their lives. They weren't trying to do anything. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb, was carried there, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. This ga- the Beautiful Gate, this lame man was laid there, and he asked uh, for alms from them who entered the temple. You know the story. You've read it hundreds of times. Now, who seeing Peter and John The lame man, uh, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, um, asked them for alms, a a gift to the poor and to the needy. And fixing his eyes on him with John, it says, verse 4, Peter said, look at us. 
So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive some money from them. And Peter said to him, silver and gold I do not have. Let's stop there for just a minute. I wonder what I would have done, and maybe I could ask the rhetorical question, what would we have done if we were on our way to the temple and someone asked for alms, and maybe we had them and maybe we didn't, maybe we didn't want to give them. Maybe you're coming out of Whole Foods toward Oleander Drive, and you meet that guy that's often there uh, with a little placard that says, I'm a veteran and I'll work for food. You see, that, that's, that's the sort of what's happening here. We've got to put it in our own context. What would we have done? You see, maybe we would have felt awkward, thought, you know what I often do? I often look the other way. You know, yeah, I wait till it's kind of strategic and then I kind of... That's what, that's what we often do. We feel awkward about either not uh, wanting to give what we have or, that, or we have prejudices in our heart. Why don't you get a job without knowing anything about the man? Now, this man, back to Acts chapter uh, 3, we know that this man was actually carried there and he was laid there because he was lame from, from birth. And fixing uh, his eyes on them, Peter said, look at us. So he gave uh, them, Peter and John, his attention, expecting to receive some money. And Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. Now, what if Peter would have just said, you know, this is awkward because we don't have anything. Now, follow this for just a minute. But what is so instructive is the following phrase. But what I do have, I give. Now, this isn't really preaching the word about supernatural healing, though I believe God does that. And I believe we're going to probably see more of it. In fact, I had a testimony lined up for this morning, and the man was out of town. He couldn't share a supernatural healing. Dramatic. God still does that. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. So the question is, what do you have? And Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. A friend and I were looking at this. Verse 7 says, and then he, that is Peter, took him by the right hand and lifted him up. You see, what does faith look like? See, the natural man can become awkward. This guy wants money and I don't have any. Or, so we avoid him and go the other way. When God wants to meet the man's real needs. You see, now that's the point of where this is going. God invades a, a community, a people, a person and makes them into a community so that Jesus can be put on display. And if we attempt to uh, logically understand everything or feel awkward when we're put in situations that tax us 
we're living out of this old man instead of seeing the new opportunities. And Peter evidently didn't just see, well, this guy had a need. Uh, he saw his crippled, lamed legs. And apparently, the internal process of the Spirit working in Peter says that he doesn't need just money. Give him what he really needs. What I have, I give. And what Peter had was just Jesus. But Jesus was enough. Now, I want you all to hear that because the question is, what do you have? Or to be more specific, uh, what I do have, I give. Which is to say, every human being who comes into this new relationship with Jesus has something. But most of us tell ourselves all of our lives that we have nothing to give. And we spend all of our lives feeling like we don't have anything to give. Do you all understand what I'm saying? And God is, God is saying, no, wait a minute, you have not understood, Steve. It doesn't matter. This is not about what you have. This is about what I have. Just put yourself on display. Uh, speak to Him. Now, the second characteristic I'm, I'm looking at here, their first one was a life of prayer, and out of that life of prayer, their boldness, see, Peter was bold, his boldness was outward focused. So, he said, look at us, we don't have money, but what I do have, I give, and that's the point. All of us have been given something by Jesus, and the question is, are we holding on to it? Or are we freely giving it? Because to whom, whom much is given, much will be required. And God is looking to put Himself on display uh, in, in this season of life. He's looking to put Himself on display. Um, it's never about what Jesus can do. It's always about what I can do when Jesus works in me. You see how it's a little switch there? It's not just looking at Jesus and saying, oh, Jesus can heal anybody. No, it's God wants me to do what Jesus did, and uh, that because it's Him working in us. So what I have, I give. They took Him by the right hand, and up He came. Now, it's the boldness of looking beyond ourselves that's the second characteristic of this church that's renewed. Now, there was a big, um, I called it a hoopla, there was a big stirring in the community in Acts chapter 4, uh, you know, Peter uh, began to preach to those, in, actually in Acts chapter 3, about this Jesus and uh, that uh, the times of refreshing were coming and, um, and, it, and it was all of the prophets, verse 24 and 25 of chapter 3, all of the prophets pointed to this time. Um, that God would turn away the curse and bless a people. And, and as they were speaking, verse 1 of chapter 4, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came together, and they were greatly disturbed because these common fishermen were teaching people and taught them and were preaching Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. So there was a big stirring in the community, and uh, the way it ended up, let me just summarize it, uh, ultimately, they put Peter and John in prison because it was late. It was 3 o'clock when this happened, going into the 
temple. They put him in the slammer overnight. They just didn't want to deal with it before they went home and whatever, ate their dinner and went to bed. So the next morning, verse 18, chapter 4, they called them and commanded them not to speak or to teach anymore in the name of Jesus. You remember, Peter said, well, whether it's right for us in the sight of God uh, or not, uh, you know, what matters to us is we're going to listen to God. And they chastised them sorely, and they commanded them no longer uh, to preach in that name. But if you look at verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, you see a church that prays, and now the second characteristic is a church that's bold and outwardly focused. When they saw uh, the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, and they marveled within themselves when they realized that they had been with Jesus. What has God given to you that He wants you to give away? What I do have, I give, is the phrase. Well, we could look at a number of texts and toward the end of that chapter, how it ended, and they went back and they prayed fervently. Verse 22, being let go, they went back to their company and they cried out. And they quoted, uh, I don't know, I think it was Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? You know, why do the kings of the earth plot against the anointed? And they, they cried out and they said, verse 29, now look, uh, Lord, in prayer, that look on their threats and grant to your servant that with all boldness they may speak your word and stretch out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the holy name of Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. You see, there's something about uh, fervently seeking God in prayer and wholeheartedly asking Him for boldness so that we might be willing to give what's been given to us. That's the point of chapter 3 and chapter 4. Now, there's a lot that I could say and I won't say, but, you know, it's never about our lack. Silver and gold I have not. But it's always about the abundance that Jesus has already given us. Jesus really is enough. And if you'll give to Him, you know, 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah, I don't have time to go there. It's the woman who had just a little bit of meal in a jar and a, and a little slosh of oil. And God told Elijah to go there and eat. Made no sense. But see, the point of that is when the woman who probably begrudgingly gave what she had and made Elijah a couple little biscuits. In fact, she said, our intention was for me and for my young son to eat these last two biscuits and crawl in a hole and die. That's a pitiful circumstance. And the man of God said, bring me the biscuits. We wouldn't have done that. But the principle there is that the woman gave what she had, a handful of meal and a slosh of oil, and fixed the two biscuits and gave them to Elijah, 
And now Elijah didn't know the whole picture. God just said, go to this town and I'm going to feed you. There's, a, there's a, a widow there. But after he ate the biscuits, in the presence of the starving woman and her son. Oh, man, these biscuits are so good. And then he said, oh, now go make some for yourself. But, 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 but we already gave the meal and the oil. Oh, just go make some for yourself. So she went back, and lo and behold, she got into the jar, and she got out more grain, more flour, and into the jug and poured out more oil. And it says every time she went back to the flour, there was an unlimited supply of flour and oil. Now, why is that so? It's because the economy of God only works when you give what you have. You can't hold on to what you have because if you hold on to what you have, you die. And God says, just hear me and obey me. And I don't have silver and gold, but what I have, I give. And beloved, that's what God is calling us to do in this culture the culture of this church. He's calling us to start afresh in prayer and bold outward focus. That's where we have to go. And if we don't, we will cease to exist. You see, what is the mission of Jesus? And I'm ending here in a well, couple minutes. What is the mission of Jesus? It's very clear. It hasn't changed throughout the years, throughout the centuries. Luke 19, 9 and 10 say this, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the mission. You see, our vision is real simple. We've, we've articulated it, and that is to love God with all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our strength, and our neighbor is our, as ourselves and to influence the world. But what we don't have is a strategy. And that's how I want to end. We don't have a strategy to love God. You remember the, the, one of the rulers came to Jesus and said, Master, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And the way that is articulated is what is the very one thing that's the highest priority? You remember, I just, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then there's this little word, and, that Jesus wedded to the first thing, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. You see, and our vision is to love God with all of our heart, and we do a pretty good job of that. We enjoy His presence. But you see, the greatest worship and the greatest preaching and all that other stuff will never compensate for not loving our neighbors as ourselves. Now, some of us are doing that. I understand that. But that's the mission, because... The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Naomi's word last week was so powerful. I started to cry at the, at the first point sitting up here. Because what she was saying was the word of God. And I don't know this because no one's ever said anything, but I wonder if there was some offense because she was a woman. I don't know that. Preaching in our pulpit. But she was fully submitted to me and to the leadership of this church and to our session. 
See, if there was a fence, uh, I wonder if we weren't somehow listening to the traditions of men more so than the Word of God. God has used all kinds of lesser beasts to preach His Word. The donkey, you remember, Balaam and all that. God can speak through anybody. I told somebody this morning, we were talking about couple things up here while we were getting ready to worship, and I said, you know, there was a time when I was in an oral interpretation class that my knees actually shook because I had to read aloud in front of maybe 20 people. That's free. <laughs> it's also amazing, isn't it, that God would use anybody is the point. Now, let me end. If the mission, then, is to seek and to save that which was lost, and that hasn't changed, then what is our strategy for doing it? Now, this, this may take a few more minutes here, but, and it might be offensive to some. But you remember when, when Jesus went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration, and I think it was Peter and John, maybe James, I don't know, went with him, and all of a sudden there was this vision, this, uh, this theophany. There was, I think, Moses and Elijah, I don't know, there were some of the big Old Testament heavy guys that appeared. And after that, you know, um, you know they, they went away, and, and Peter said, uh, man, let's build something for them. Let's, let's enshrine this place. <laughs> Hello? Let's, let's make a shrine to remember this day. And Jesus got after Peter and said, no, this isn't about that. And there's all kinds of examples for that. But what's our strategy for what we do? Hear my heart on this, please. Some very gracious, gracious, and generous people have given money to redo our kitchen. And I want you to hear that. Very generous and very gracious people. And we got about half of the funds to redo our kitchen. We need another 30,000-ish, I think. And this session is behind that and said, absolutely, yeah. People want to give to the kitchen, that, that's Amen. Build the kitchen. But what I have, I give. Why would we build the kitchen is the question. Not that it's not good to refurbish the kitchen and put new appliances and new floor and new, you know, all that stuff. But the question is, what, but what I have, I give. How are we going? Anything we do in the kingdom is not about me. It's not about you. It's a matter of how are we going to give? What's the strategy for using the investment in something like a kitchen? Let me give you some ideas. I, I've not developed a plan. It's not my place really to develop a plan. It's up to God to do the plan, to show us what He wants to do. That's why we need to be a kitchen that pray, or a people that prays about everything, even the kitchens, uh, and then develop bold outreach and how we're going to use what we invest in. Let me give you an idea. What if we used a new kitchen and said one day a week we're going to feed hungry people in this neighborhood? Now, what if? I'm just saying what if. I'm just saying. And what if we got our big tent, 
said, okay, we're going to invest $60,000 and we're going to redo this kitchen. Why are we doing that? The answer could be, let's put the tent right outside that door and every, you tell me the day, I don't know, every Tuesday afternoon or every Thursday evening or whenever, we're going to feed hungry people. We have money called ministry to the poor and golly, we don't know what to do with it. It's not a lot, but guess what? There are people living in our woods that are homeless. Why are they homeless? I'm not sure. Are they lazy? Probably not. Maybe some are addicted. I don't know. There's lots of reasons. But what if we used our investment in a kitchen to boldly reach out in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk? That's what I'm saying. We all applaud, but in order for that strategy to happen, it needs a group of people that will come across around that thing and say, I want to get involved with that feed some hungry people. Look at these four walls. If this is all there is, we've missed the gospel. You see, there are people out there like the lame man sitting in it with his shriveled legs that's dying to hear about Jesus that loves him. What I have, I give. In the name of Jesus, rise up. And... Now, what if, here's another option. These are what ifs. What if we took that kitchen and said, okay, Pastor Steve, you've been through a devastating life change in the last two years. You have coronary artery disease, and you've learned some things about diet and how diet can absolutely halt and reverse that disease and most every other diseases in the Western world. I just returned from North Carolina State all day yesterday from a plant-based prevention of disease conference where there are over 31 people medical doctors and researchers from all over this land that are finally beginning to say what our government has failed to say, and that is the food that we're being told we should eat is killing us. What if we took that investment of a kitchen and said, okay, one day we're going to feed the hungry, the second day, the second evening, we're going to do classes for seniors in our community, and we're going to teach them how to eat right and why to do it, the research, the evidence-based research that confirms it's not just a hypothesis. You see, we found the reason, we just don't like what we found. I'm not saying don't you eat dairy and meat and processed food. I'm just saying I can't, and there's a whole bunch of out, out there like us that can't. Wait just a minute. Now, what if we began to teach people how to cook? I'm talking about utilizing the kitchen to do classes either here uh, and invited the neighbors and go to the senior center, invited them. What if we began to use our investment of $60,000, that's the point, in renewing, a, putting in a new kitchen and used it, A, to feed the hungry, and B, to teach people how to eat right so they wouldn't get coronary artery disease? where they wouldn't die from type 2 diabetes, so that hypertension wouldn't destroy them and pop their eyeballs out. You see, that's, those are the diseases, along with cancer, that you and I have because of what we're eating. I didn't want to go on that route. But you see, the point, the point is that we can, what's our strategy for doing anything? We have a children's ministry. Well, I'm just bearing everything. We have little kids back in a double-wide trailer. Now, you may not even know that because we have a big activity center and a big gym back there. 
with our children's ministry, many of them are in a double-wide trailer. They are in a double-wide trailer. And there are young couples who come here and they hear just, you know, through the grapevine how we spend money, or we're going to renew the kitchen, or um, take my shoes off so I don't um, step on too many toes here. There, there are some people that want to give money, again, like to the kitchen uh, for uh, a columbarium. Now, what that is, a place where when people die, and I just lost my mom, you know that, where they um, would be uh, interred, their ashes would be interred. Now, that isn't a bad thing, obviously. Uh, but I do remember that Jesus said, um, let the dead bury the dead, you come follow me. I do remember that. Now, now, what I'm saying is what if we took those funds, this is just a what if, just saying, what if we took those funds and allocated them to building a new wing for our children's ministry that would attract young families and young couples, that would say to them, hey, children are a priority here. You see, what we're talking about is, is this is visionary kind of stuff. Now, some of you might say, man, man I want... If you bury uh, one person's ashes back there, like my mom's, let's just say, she was, she's buried up in Jacksonville, but if you interred her ashes back there, there is now emotional investment in this property. Now, what if silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give? What if God down the road says, Sell this facility. Just saying, what if? You know, well, God would never do that. No, no he's God. You see, it's about, he's about, he gets to control the shots. It's about why do you say, Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You see, God can do that. But all of a sudden, now there's emotional investment to where the, these people that we loved. We could, we could never sell this property even if God said because it would be our responsibility to reinter those people, dig their remains up, and take them to a new place. I'm just saying that's a possibility. Well, I got other illustrations, but I won't really go there. The point is when we belong to Jesus as a new renewed community, we become a people who pray and who don't get awkward when we see a need, even though we may not be able to meet that need the way it's being asked, we have something to give. And when we give it, God always comes through and He meets our needs. I've went and gone into extra innings. No, I know, I know that's an affront to some. I really do. I hear from people. You know, their services are too long. You know, um, I, God's doing a new thing. Now, it isn't about making your services longer. He's just doing a new thing. Now, what he's... What he's <laughs> and the new thing isn't to make our services longer. Trust me, I know that. You see, if I had to guess, I would guess probably in the fall we're going to go back to two services, not back we're going to begin to make two services, and we're going to make one of them 
uh, absolutely the best that we can make it. And we're going to attract, uh, go after those uh, seniors in our community. That's a good thing. Does God love seniors? I'm sure glad he does. And I'm, I think we're going to take this second one then, whatever. It, it's, this isn't, I don't have a plan. I'm just praying. <laughs> and I think we're going to turn this one loose. We're going to turn both of them loose. You see, God wants, you know, what do you have? What, what I have, I give. Now, just let me seriously end. <laughs> Al, Al was giving me a hard time. He even told me a joke about a pastor that, you know, hey, this, one more point and I'm done. If, you're, if you read chapter, the end of chapter 4, here's what happened. People began, because they were part of a new community, people brought, they sold land and some sold houses. That didn't become the prescription of everybody in the community, but some sold lands and houses and brought the money, and it says laid it at the apostles' feet. That means you, you give and then you take your hands off of it. That's a two-part thing. You give, and then you release. I write my check every month. You won't see it put in the plate because we give monthly. It's just the way we've done it. Big whoop. <laughs> because God's called us to do it. He's called you to do it. You give. You can make requests, but you lay it at the feet of the leadership. You see, we just sang about trusting Jesus. How do you trust Jesus? You trust him in the likes of human men and women who've been called to leadership. Will we make mistakes? Yes. That's why we're a community that must pray. Will we do wrong things occasionally? Yes. But we have to be a community that's focused boldly toward the out, those who are outside. Mike Escalante, where are you? Come up here, sir, real fast. Bring with you Dale and Ray. We have about <clears throat> one minute to share this testimony of Dalen. What an amazing man this guy is. Real fast, Michael, if you can. He's a nice guy. But he's had two major things. Friday, we interred, we put to rest the remains of a lady that he was very much in love with. And the other thing is that he was baptized. And uh, I want to tell you that God is good. Dalen was homeless. I'm not sure where he was living. I didn't get that part, but he uh, was hit by a, an F, a Ford F100, or 150, I think it was, broadside. And he was taken to the hospital, dead on arrival. The Lord brought him back. And he's standing here. And he says, I want to be baptized. 
and this didn't happen day within a week, but you know, recently. But we had the opportunity for a baptism uh, last week. It was Monday, wasn't it? Yes, sir. Well, how do you feel now? How do I feel? <laughs> I, you can't give me a million dollars and make me feel no better. As long as I got, as long as I, hey. As long as I got Jesus Christ in my life, look here, they can't nothing, no money, no riches, nothing by his love for me. I'm his. Heart, soul, and body, I belong to Jesus Christ. Venus, would you come up and just uh, give us some music as we end? Let's stand. And Father, I want to thank you for Dalen and thank you for his life. And I thank you for the two miracles that we had lined up for today. I trust this, the other one will be available when the time is right. But God, we're a community that lives in miracles because we pray and because we boldly stretch forth our hand and give what we have. Father, I pray that there would be raised up men and women like Dalen from around this community, Lord, that would find the new life in Jesus and would share that new life with us and allow us to share with him. God, would you bless your people today and take, Lord, my feeble words and use them and cover them and do whatever you need to do with them. But God, thank you that we belong together and that we belong to you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. If you'd like special prayer, there'll be some of us up here. Just come up and hug on Dalen. Uh, he's a neat guy.